0: Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. It was six years ago, okay? It was six years ago, I was in a cabin in Greensboro, Alabama with uh, James Matchett. And James had just come on staff after I took the role as lead pastor. And, and there we were, we're having conversations about the future. And some of you know the story that he asked me the question, Scott, in five years, where do you see this church? We paused for a moment. And I looked at him. I said, James, I need you to know something about me. I need you to know this. I don't care if I ever lead a mega church, as people call it. These are not my aspirations, okay? That's not how I operate. How I look at this church is this is God's place, and I have the opportunity to steward it in leadership while I'm here. But I said, I do want you to know, if you're part of One Hope, you know where I am on this. I want you to know what I'm passionate about. I said there's gonna be a time When my days at One Hope Are gonna come to an end I know I won't be here forever Or I'll just die here One or the other right Like I know my days Will be limited But when I look back I want to be able to say I did two things really well At least my attempts And that is I pointed people to Jesus And I helped people become more like Jesus Every single day I said because when we lean into this concept this is where freedom is found we see in scripture that freedom is found in jesus it says that his truth sets us free and i want to remind us though is the fullness of that freedom is not just in salvation of jesus salvation is not the landing spot it's the launching spot into the life that he has for us that the fullness of freedom is found when we give our life to Jesus and then we make that pivotal move where I'm going to live my life the way He did. And this has been my intentions for six years. It will continue to be my intentions. But from that conversation with James, I believe God began to speak to me and to give a God vision to give a God vision of what life would look like if Scott Moore and one hope began to live more like Jesus every day, and so that is where this see, feel, act stuff comes from. And so we're in this series of teachings, and we're talking about um, what I believe is the most important things—the values that Jesus had. He said this was the most important. We're talking about the conversation that Jesus had, where where he was asked, "Hey Jesus, what is the best way to live?" Jesus what is the most important thing in life and if we remember he said well it's two things we've heard if you've grown up in the church you've heard this your whole life but he said two things to love God and to love your neighbor as is yourself this sums up everything so for the past three weeks we've been wrestling with we've been tackling that first part of the answer how do we love God with all of our heart our soul our mind and our strength now I want to ask you if you've missed any of those messages do me a favor go back and listen if you're part of one hope i don't want you to miss this because this is more than a series it's more of a dna a movement inside of our church saying this is we're declaring these are the people we want to be but what i did through those first three weeks to try to give you a picture to process what that looks like and, in, and to love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, soul, strength, we need to, first one was see the truth about God. You remember, we need to see Him in the beginning, we need to see He's always been, and that He will be with us into the future. He will never not be. We see the attributes of love and grace and mercy, we see power, we see all these things that we need to see the truth about God. We need to know who He is, because when that happens, I'll tell you, when you get a real, rich, genuine, authentic view of who God is, something attaches to your heart. Something moves inside of you where you begin to feel a passion for God. When we see the goodness, the greatness of God, something moves inside of us, and we'll feel passion for Him, and this is what God wants. He does not want just a, a knowledge-based relationship. I know who He is. There is the heart connection that happens, and when you have that heart connection, it moves us to what I've said, is you act in surrender, because whatever you're most passionate about is what you'll surrender your life to. This way it always is. You'll give yourself to the thing that you're most passionate about. And so what we did is we saw how this walked through in Paul's life and his transformation, but then more importantly, we see how that played out in jesus's life even to the point of death he surrendered everything and that's going to be the call on our life well today we're going to make a hard turn okay we're going to make a like a transition all right we're we're, it's going to feel like maybe we're starting all over again because we're moving off the first part which is loving god and moving to the second part of jesus statement which is loving your neighbor as yourself and let me be blunt about something let me be really clear I think sometimes it's easy for us to attach and buy into the loving God part. I think we can see it as a necessity. I don't think we have to be overly convinced that God wants a loving relationship, that he loves you and he wants to be loved back. I don't think we need to be too convinced. Of I think we, we see the need for salvation. But then we get to This part. I wonder if we know the words of Jesus but do we view this part as almost secondary to the first I wonder if we know the words of Jesus and we believe it's a good thing when it's convenient versus as a non-negotiable command from Jesus I'm wondering this is how we see this part. So my argument that I'm going to start from today, it's going to go into um, the the rest of this series, is, is loving your neighbor as yourself is as important to God as loving him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, Hear me, loving your neighbor as yourself is as important to God as loving him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe I could say it this way, in the kingdom of God, loving your neighbor is part of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They cannot be separated as one is more valuable than the other. If our life is gonna mirror the life of Jesus, then loving our neighbor isn't a situational thing. It's not a sometimes thing. It's a lifestyle that we need to begin living now. But there's a problem. It's a problem for you and it's a problem for me. Is we don't do this very naturally. This, is, this does not come easily in our brokenness and the brokenness of humanity that when it comes to this part it's not a you thing it's not a me thing it's not an us thing it's not an American thing it's not a one hope thing this is hard for all of us it doesn't come naturally that's why Jesus has to address it then he addresses it again, and he addresses it again. It's why he needs to have conversations like uh, we're going to read about today that we're going to jump into. It's why Luke 10 matters in the conversation of Jesus saying how to live. So what I want you to take out, if you've got your Bibles, you've got your phones, if you need a Bible, are in the chairs, there can be yours, but we're going to go to Luke chapter 10 and jump into this conversation Jesus has, and then we'll see why This part of scripture is so foundational to the see, feel, act concept that I'm talking about. So Luke chapter 10, you ready? Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? he answered love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself you've answered correctly jesus replied do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself so he asked jesus and who is my neighbor And went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after me," he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus goes, What's, uh, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise many of the questions that we wrestle with today people asked Jesus because they were wrestling with them as well and one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he didn't just give the quick simple answer it wasn't a black and white answer let's move on no discussion I think Jesus was as concerned about the principal truth as he was about answering that specific question in that specific moment. So I think Jesus wanted people to understand the bigger truths about the kingdom of God so they would be able to understand how it all played out. Now, how Jesus taught... Um, primarily, a good chunk were what we call parables. And Jesus would use parables to bring clarity to things that were, you know, maybe that people were wrestling with or that they needed to understand because it wasn't quite clear. Jesus used parables because he wanted to give a picture of how kingdom values contrasted against cultural values. So we have the dilemma in front of us. Now, I want to tell you just for a second that this this story is going to kind of be a thread that weaves through all three of these messages. We will touch different parts as we continue on in this conversation. But right here in the beginning, we have a man who asks a question that many of us have asked, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? We ask this question in a way of what can I and can't I do? We've asked maybe sometimes, "Is how far is too far?" We ask questions all the time, and Jesus, is like, "Where is my, bar, my my boundaries? Where are my margins?" Jesus, what really matters? Maybe in the course of the questions we've been asking, is Jesus, "What's the best way to live? What's the way you're calling us to live?" Now, reminder: the first three weeks we tackled the first part. But as I said, Jesus wasn't done. He wasn't done because as we become more like Jesus, um, our relationship with God isn't the only relationship that is going to be changed. We need to remember, and I know I've said this, this to you before, and I will continue to say it, but as your relationship with God transforms, your relationships with others will be transformed as well. Maybe I'll say you... You want to see how healthy your relationship with God is? How do you operate in the relationships around you? Are you only focused in that relationship with God, or do you see and understand the relationship with others is part of that maturing and and growth that He's called us to? But the problem is, as I told you, we're we're not all great at relationships. Jesus knows this, and so he knows, um, he knows he's got to show us kind of the, a picture of how this plays out. So we've got the parable. And so let's talk about the parable for a second. The journey from Jericho to Jerusalem, or vice versa, is a tough journey. If you ever go with me to Israel, you'll kind of see the length of this. This approximate 18-mile journey was a tough, dangerous journey for people. Jesus knows this. This was not a far-fetched scenario. Jesus actually taps into this knowledge that people would have had. And so what you have here is you want to know how to inherit eternal life. A man has been jumped, and now he's in need. You know the stretch between Jericho and Jerusalem Well a man was walking in and he's, in, he's been jumped And he is almost dead He is in need They would have understood this story And I wonder, just wondering as I read through this Could the story and this interaction that Jesus had Could it have stopped right here? I'm wondering if the answer to the question Is actually right here in the first part of the story What if it could be looked at as simply as Who is your neighbor? Maybe Jesus wants us to see our neighbor As anyone who needs us in their lives Is there a chance That right there at the beginning of the story Who is my neighbor? Could Jesus have just said Well it's anybody who's hurting Who has a need that's in your life It doesn't matter the reason it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter the scenario. Your neighbor is the one that needs you. Could Jesus have stopped right there and just said, That's your neighbor? But as I said, Jesus has bigger objectives. He, he wants the fullness of, this, of the understanding to, to, to happen. And Jesus, I think, also needs to show us that we often miss these scenarios. In everyday life, that do you know that we have more blind spots than we often realize? And so he says, "There's a man. There's a man who's been beaten, clothes been torn, he's almost dead." And then the first character of the story comes up, and it's a priest. The priest sees the situation. The situation can't be missed. The priest sees it and he evaluates it and his move is to move to the other side and keep on going. And Jesus says a Levite comes up and he sees the situation. And his response is he moves to the side. He keeps walking. And then the third part, the third person enters the story, and it's a Samaritan. Now, when the Samaritan enters the story, the story changes completely. The Samaritan sees the man in a way the priest and the Levite don't see him. Their vision of the man, their vision of the moment is off. It's almost like he's showing the blind spots in their beliefs, the blind spots in their life that they had. Now, 20 second time out from the story. This is an interesting part in Jesus' life. Jesus does something that this expert in the law would not have expected. It's kind of a sidebar, but I don't want you to uh, miss this. That Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. And in the life of the Jewish people, in the life of the religious people, in the life of the ones who thought they were right and they were the heroes of of the story in life, the Samaritan is never supposed to be the hero, but Luke does this multiple times. It's almost like Luke is trying to make very clear that God has opened up the doors that anybody can be part of bringing his kingdom to this earth. It doesn't matter where you come from. You, this may not be revolutionary to you, but in this moment, it was quite shocking that the Samaritans could be part of this. But let's go back to our parable for, for a second. And then we have options as we read this. We have options. We could dig into the weeds. We could jump in and um, kind of ask the questions, Why? Why didn't the priest and Levite? What's really behind that? Why did the Samaritan? We could really spend a lot of time in that, but I think the best way to look at this is the reason that the Levite and the priest didn't stop was because, simply, they didn't see the man in trouble being important enough to stop what they were doing. What if this story... It's very simple to understand. The reason they didn't stop because they didn't see helping him as valuable as changing the plans that they already had or maybe changing the beliefs about that person they already had. Jesus is using two high-level Jewish religious leaders to point out to this expert in the law That the man who was almost dead wasn't valuable enough for them to stop and do what was needed. And maybe this parable makes the point very, very clear. You want to inherit heaven. You want to inherit eternal life because if that's your biggest priority, if that's what you want, let me just tell you how. Be the Samaritan. What if the story is simple as that? Now, once again, we could jump into the depths of how shocking that would be, how that would be like, you, you want me to be what? Like, there's a lot there, but what if for this morning, what Jesus just wants us to see is that loving your neighbor as yourself is simply being the Samaritan, that the calling of our life is to go and do likewise. Likewise. And maybe the expert in the law just needed to see that. And I wonder, I wonder when he walked away from that conversation, what follow-up conversations did he have? Did he receive it or not? Because when we hear this story, this conversation he had with this man, we have to decide how we're going to receive it and how we are going to process this. And one way we could process it, we can look at and we can see the expert in the law that probably, maybe, was a Pharisee, maybe. We can look and go, yeah, that's the bad guy. We can look, and then we can look around us and we can see all the bad guys or groups that we think don't do right and we can begin to point fingers at the people who do the bad things and we, we're very good at pointing out people who we don't think do right. Or... Or we can do what I'd like us to do every week, is to jump into this story ourselves. To leave the seat you're sitting in and jump into the story and see ourselves as the person having the conversation with Jesus. Because can't it be said that sometimes we try to justify ourselves of who we don't want to be our neighbor don't we sometimes try to talk ourselves into and try to get God on our side of why we view people that they shouldn't be our neighbor can't we lie to ourselves and can't we create smaller boxes of these this is our neighbor but this isn't really our neighbor and we can know the truth about what Jesus says but once again it's secondary when it's convenient then I'll do it couldn't it be said that we struggle to see people as our neighbor because of the labels we put on people around us do you know that we do that do you know that you do that instinctively naturally You don't even know you're doing it And you did it this morning when you walked in this room and you're going to do it tomorrow when you walk into other places that when we walk in we look around and we instantly put labels on people on people and it's, they're just simple labels like we walk and go oh, that person's old this person's young that's a label we, we look and, and we say, oh, that person is cool, that person is not cool. I know what you say about me every time. But <laughs> We look at people and we're like, that person's rich, that person's poor, that person's good-looking, that person's not good-looking. Sometimes we, we, we stop in the bigger labels, like we, we put labels on people because we know what they believe in the political sphere. Oh, that person's liberal. That person's conservative. Democrat, Republican. We put labels because of um, the outward, uh, outwards way we look. we got skin color. We've got uh, where people are from, other countries, different things that we put labels on. Oh, they're not from here. They don't look like me. We put labels on people because of their past. We even put labels on people because of sports teams that they choose for. That you for. You know that we label people all the time. And can I just say this like and, and know my heart behind this? I hope this is clear. Is labels are not always wrong. They're just sometimes descriptions. Like labels sometimes, like it's just the reality of something. The problem is when the labels turn into value or worth. The problem is when labels turn into do people matter or not. And the problem comes in when we look at situations and people and like, is that person worth me stopping? Is that person worth my generosity? Is that person worth my heart? Is that person worth me saying I'll give you the benefit of the doubt? Is that person worth praying for? Is that person worth forgiving? Is that person worth whatever I think I'm supposed to do? Should I stop? This is when the problem comes. And sometimes we do this, we look at people we step back and we just walk on by and we do this also because of our brokenness because of sinful nature that's in this, we do this and we don't realize how wrong it is sometimes we do but sometimes we don't, the division the lines that we're putting in but Jesus sees them and, and the Pharisees are not the only people That Jesus had to talk to us about Jesus had to have these conversations You know Jesus had to have these conversations With the disciples Which tells me you can be close to Jesus And still not love your neighbor the way you're supposed to The disciples struggled with Are certain people worthy of our time, energy, resources Are some people worth Jesus Look at it were kids worth Jesus? Disciples are like, let's move on. We know the Samaritans, they're Not were, were, was, was this woman or was this man, was this sinner? Was The disciples struggle with who deserved Jesus based on value. If disciples are doing it, let me tell you, I'm gonna struggle in this. Disciples do it. I have to be able to say, maybe I struggle too. So I think in these parables and stories and the gospels, Jesus is making a point to say To love your neighbor as ourselves Our vision of who and what people are needs to change Which leads us into the seafillac side To love your neighbor as yourself You need to see the truth about others You need to see the truth about others If it's true, listen You were fine with this in the first three weeks if it's true that in order to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, we need to see the truth about who He is. This is what moves in us, then it must be true that to love our neighbors ourselves, we need to see the truth about others and how God sees them. We need to begin to see the truth about others and how God values them. That we can't love others in the way God's calling us to do, in the way Jesus did, until our vision of people changes. This has to happen. And the most important vision that we need to have is that every person you'll ever encounter was created on purpose for a purpose with God. Every person you'll ever encounter was created in the image of God, loved by God, valued by God, has a purpose in this life by God and that he sees them like he sees you that they're created to glorify God and honor God and to be in a relationship with God whether they are or not doesn't take away from their value in the sight of God If the truth is they are valuable to God then they'd be valuable to us and Jesus needed to teach these Pharisees, these disciples and this continued on that Paul, we've talked about him, he needed to teach it to the early church. This is why he says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility do what? In humility value others, others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. The early church needed to be taught this. We need to be taught this, and then we we'll be taught it again and again and again, then reminded again, then pushed again, and held accountable again. That we need to live in this because it's not natural to us. But if loving—go back to the beginning—if loving our neighbors as ourselves is as important to, as loving God, then we need to take a look at ourselves and say, "How I live life—is it more like the Levite and the priest, or the Samaritan?" Because this isn't going to become... This isn't natural. In our broken selves, this isn't easy. It's going to take some transformation of God in our life. But in order for that to begin to work, we need to do two things. One, we need to own it. If the disciples struggles with it, maybe I do too. Maybe I do look at people. Maybe I do create lines. Maybe I do push people away. Maybe I don't love everyone as my neighbor. Just own it. And then ask ourselves this important question. Who are you struggling to see value in? Who are you struggling to see as your neighbor that needs you? And I'll tell you, sometimes this is right square center in your own home. Sometimes the extended family Sometimes these are close friends. Or we're close friends. Sometimes this is um, co-workers. Sometimes it's people in the community. Not all these things are random stories like walking from Jericho to Jerusalem and you come on to this person who needs. Sometimes this is the needs around us, but we have blind spots to the people who need us. And we look beyond because maybe we're frustrated. Maybe we're annoyed. Maybe it's just we all have that person or those people that we're just like, it's just not worth it. They're driving me crazy. Or I just don't like them. I don't like they don't think like me I don't like that they look like me but if it's true that everyone is creating the image of God who are you supposed to value and find worth in that right now you're struggling with who are you walking by in your life and they really need you So, so I want you to do it just for a minute close your eyes Close your eyes, because I pray, this is my prayer before I came Sunday. God, will you put a picture in our eye, in our mind's eye, of who we need to be loving more? Who is our neighbor that we've been walking by? My prayer is, is that God very quickly put in our minds, oh. I don't want to see that person. I don't want to have to deal with this person. I don't want to. But in humility, consider others more valuable and look at their interests more than their own. More than your own. Is there anybody that just comes to your mind? My prayer is this week, God, will you show us? Will you show us who we need to see the way you see them? okay, look, so this is what I'm asking to you to do. Look at me. What if this week you just woke up or at some point in your day you said this prayer? God, help me see people the way you see them so I can love them the way you love them. Let me say it again. God, help me see people the way you see them so I can love them the way you love them. What if every day we woke up and just, God, give me new vision so I can walk through this life the way you did? Because I'll tell you what, you know how Jesus changed the world? Is he brought the truth of God, but he brought it in a way that loved his neighbor. And my hope is that one hope, you walk out of this place and say I'm going to have a new vision of people it's not going to be my vision it's going to be God's vision and your prayer is God this is going to be a you thing Holy Spirit moving this in my life that I see people the way you see them so I can love them the way you love them and so Heavenly Father help us do that May we live out this parable in our life when we walk up to someone who is hurting, who has a need, who just needs us in their life. God, will you show us and may we say yes because we consider other people's interests even more than our own because that's what it means to follow you as my Savior. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you would like to hear more, check out our website at ouronehope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.